Um, Well, we are going to be in starting in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 as we have so far in our Advent series This is week three next Sunday will be the fourth and final Sunday of the Advent uh, series in the Advent season And so for each week in Advent, we've been looking at this one verse in Isaiah this prophetic promise um, That God gave to the nation of Israel so they would know what to look for when the Messiah showed up Okay, and so the verse is this Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so just in summary, what God is saying to the nation of Israel, here's what you need to be looking for. The Messiah will come to you as a child. The Messiah will come to you as a son. So that's what you're looking for. And this this little boy, this little baby will grow up to take the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And here are four names that you're going to want to give to this baby. The first one being... Wonderful Counselor. The second one, Mighty God. The one we'll look at today, Everlasting Father. And then the final title we'll look at next Sunday is Prince of Peace. So these are the four titles given to this baby born in a manger over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. And so before we really get into the, the details of what it means to call God everlasting father I thought I would just kind of deal with a small elephant in the room of like why are we calling a son father did that strike anybody as odd this is a title given to this baby boy this son of God who will be born in a manger and one of the titles will be everlasting father that sounds a little strange and so we're going to go to the scripture in John chapter 14 Um, We get this beautiful expression of prayer um, First between a conversation between Jesus and his disciples But also a prayer between the the son Jesus and the father And so the words we're about to read think about this are the very words that that baby is going to grow up to say So the baby born in a manger now we're reading some of what he had to say in John 14 And here's what the baby born in a manger has to say when he grows up to be a man. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. He says this, believe in God, believe also in me. And if you read this chapter and the next three chapters, you're going to see this this beautiful portrait of a triune God. Father, Son, Spirit. Three persons, yet all in one. And so even here, Jesus is saying, in the same way you believe in God, believe also in me. That there's a oneness between me and my Father. So one of the reasons, we'll get to a second reason in a minute, that this baby, this son who is born, is also referred to as an everlasting Father, is that there's a oneness between the Son and the Father. Jesus says, hey, if you're going to believe in the Father, believe in me also. Then he goes on to say, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
So he's preparing to leave the earth, to go back to the right hand of the Father. He says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's where I'm going. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And that is Jesus looking forward, saying, hey, I'm coming back again. There will be a second advent. The first advent, I showed up as an infant born in a manger. The second advent will be different. I'll actually come back to get you and take you to be with me forever. And then verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going, which is going to bring up the second answer to the question, why is the Son of God being referred to as an everlasting Father? Verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And so Jesus says to him, a Bible verse that many of you have heard often. And here is his answer to Thomas. Remember, he said, you know the way. And Thomas said, I don't know the way. How can we know the way? And he says this, I am the way. You actually already know the way. You just don't know that you know the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. The way to where? The way to the Father. Look what he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying two things. You know the way to the Father and you know who the Father is because you know me. And so the idea that this Messiah would come to be born as a baby, the Son of God, is that Jesus would, would, would come as God in the flesh, this oneness between the Son and the Father, but also that Jesus would open up a way for you and for me to have a relationship with God in such a way that we would come to know Him as Father. You know the way, and you know who my Father is because you know me. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, we read this, that Jesus, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So that's a, that's a, a Christmas Bible verse. Jesus comes to his own. How does he come to his own? As a baby, born in a manger. Remember, there was no place for him in the, in the end. So you know the nativity story. From, the, from birth, he was rejected. He came to his own people. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become something, to become children of God. Those who believe in Christ are now children of God. Therefore, we call God what? Father, Dad, Daddy. Without Jesus, there is no relationship with the Father. So you could think of it this way. No Jesus, no Father. But if you know Jesus, then you will know the Father. The prophecy now in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is saying this. The Messiah will come to open up a way for you and me to be in relationship with the Father. And you will know the Father, and I will know the Father by first knowing the Son. And so we get to this title, Everlasting Father. 
Now, as we've done in the previous weeks, we'll pull those two words apart. We'll look at the meaning of each, and then we'll pull it back together. So the first word is the word everlasting here. It translates into English in, in a couple different ways. All very, very similar. It could be translated eternal, the eternal father. Uh, perpetual, that's the idea, it never ends. Um, or uh, unending, or always. So you, could, you could say this, he will be known as the always father, or the forever father. So whatever it means to have God as a father, he will always be that. So he won't be the kind of father who's in a good mood one day and then he crushes you the next. Whatever it means that God is a father, he will always be that. Everlasting father. Before we talk about what it means that God is a father to us, the first thing that title does for you and me is it solidifies our identity. So you walked into this room with a lot of identities, and rightly so. One of your identities may be that you are a father, or a mother, a brother, sister, co-worker, friend, husband, wife. You came into this room with a lot of different hats, and depending on where you are, depends on which one you put on at any given moment, engineer, teacher homeschool mom, whatever it is. But what this title does for you and me is it solidifies our primary identity as the same. Your first identity is this. You are a son or a daughter. That's your first identity. You walk into the room. Before you are a dad, you're a son. Before you are a mom, you're a daughter. We think about what does it mean for God to be a good father. Like, what kind of father is God? Think about what it means to be a good father. Good fathers love. Good fathers protect. Good fathers provide. Good fathers comfort. Good fathers mentor. And we could just keep going on, right? The list goes on. So what does it mean then that God would be your everlasting father? I was thinking about that title everlasting and we use forever, um, like forever home in our culture today to describe uh, adoption, whether they use it for pets, but for children too, like a child is now, that's being adopted is now moving into his or her forever home. So no longer is this a foster home or an orphanage or a temporary home, but this is your forever, it's permanent. And that's the sense of what this title means, that God is your forever father, your forever provider, your forever protector, your forever mentor, your forever comforter. And I want you to hear this next sentence or two. And it's going to be hard for you to believe it, but it's still true. God, as your everlasting Father, never gets tired of protecting you. I know you reached out to him like a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago. Like, I really need protection, and he showed up for you. He's just as eager today to do that. He never gets tired of providing for you. I just feel so needy. 
Turns out you are needy. So am I. That's the nature of a child-parent relationship, isn't it? Children are born needy. Now, hopefully, after 18 years in your home, they leave with the ability to meet some of their own needs and eventually become parents and meet the needs of their children. But in the grand scheme of humanity, we are first all children, therefore we are all needy. And God does not get weary with your neediness. He always loves you. He's never tired of having you burst through the door and run and jump into his lap. He never gets tired of you burying your head in his chest and sobbing your eyes out. He never grows weary of repairing the relationship when you or me once again realize we've been wondering as a prodigal. You ever felt that way? I know what to do. I know to go back to God. I know to go running back to the Father and say, hey, Father, forgive me. Will you accept me? But he just did that for me. He never grows weary of welcoming the prodigal home. He's a forever father. An always father to you and to me and for all who are in Christ. And that's what Jesus says. If you know me, you'll know him. But the only way to get to him is by believing in me. And so if you, sitting where you sit right now, believe that Jesus, in fact, is the Christ, and you trust in him as your Savior and your Lord, then you know the Father. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Now I want to share just a a little snippet of my own story. My confession to you is that I've been a Christian now for, the math is hard, a long time, since I was 15. And so, yeah, that's 32 years. Uh, 22, 32, something two years. And of all of my Christian journey, as I've gotten to know God as creator and savior and, and all the different aspects of who God is, this is the title I struggle with the most. And for me, that comes from my personal story. I don't know your personal story. This may be your favorite title for God and and the one that you gravitated to first, but for me, it's a struggle. Just a few words here of why. I was orphaned by my dad when I was five. I grew up in a home with a mom and without a dad. I had several stepdads along the way, but none of them were ever dad to me. There's a part of seeing God as a father that doesn't make sense to me. My cognitive struggle in seeing God as a father is I don't know what it's like to be the son of a dad. I know the relationship between a son and a mom. I know what it's like to be a dad with sons, but I don't know what it's like to be the son who has a dad. That may sound strange, but I don't have an imperfect human experience that I can use as a starting point to my relationship with God. I don't know what it looks, what it's like <clears throat> to look forward to dad coming home from work or stopping what he's doing to go outside and throw a ball or show me how to shave or tell me what to do on my first date. 
There's a lot about the relationship between a son and a dad that's foreign to me. Now, as I've been pursuing my relationship with God for 32 years now, I have the math done, there are things about God I still don't understand because I still don't know fully what it means to have a dad. But there's a second struggle, and this is an emotional struggle. And the emotional struggle is that I still have unhealed wounds from being orphaned by my dad. You'd think by now the wounds would be healed, but they aren't. So, there is still a sting I feel when I call God dad. There's still an unfulfilled loneliness and longing for a man who never showed up and who never will. And slowly, over time, God has revealed himself to me as the father who stayed as opposed to the father who left. And slowly, sting by sting, he has been healing my wounded heart. And this is how God shows up in my story as an always father. He's patient with me. He's not offended that sometimes I have a hard time calling him dad. And like a good father, he welcomes me into his lap and he comforts me and over time, he is healing me. And so now I can call God dad with just a little bit more understanding and joy than I could 20 years ago. I don't know your story. So how does God show up in your story as an always father? I'm going to give you uh, three ways, regardless of who you are in the room and what your story is, here are three ways that God wants to show up in your story right now as an everlasting, forever, always father. The first way he shows up is through his word. He has said some things to you. You may not even be aware. This is not an arbitrary, archaic book about somebody else, but this is the book about the everlasting father, and in it, you're going to find his love for you. And so here are some of the things he has said to you already. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's what your dad says about you. That's his idea. That's his motive towards you. All who are in Christ are my sons and my daughters through faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'll read the second part of verse 16 first. And then God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then two verses later in 618, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So he's showing up for you today through his word. He's telling you, I'm inviting you to come. Believe in my son, and by believing in my son, you shall be called my sons and daughters. A second way that God comes to you and shows up in your story, and maybe even showing up in your story like right now, is through his Holy Spirit. 
Romans chapter 8 says this about the Spirit of God in verse 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Listen to this. Abba, Father, that urge inside of you to want to call God dad is his spirit saying, hey, call me dad. He's not just granting you permission. He's inviting you saying, hey, please call me daddy, daddy. That is his spirit inside of us. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are in fact children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. What is that? That tells me then that this idea of God being a father and me being his son, it's not just a fancy illustration, like it's reality. Like it goes all the way down to to being heirs, legitimate children. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, I'm going to go to the Father and prepare a place for you. Then I'm coming back. My Father's house, there's plenty of room. I'm coming back to gather up my co-heirs, my brothers and my sisters who have been adopted by my Father. Here's the third way that he shows up, and he's shown up for me in this way, and I believe he wants to show up in your story this way, is to show up through people. He shows up through his word, he shows up through his spirit, and he wants to show up in your life through his people. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, and this will be our last verse of the day, religion that is pure and undefiled. So James is saying, let me tell you what pure religion looks like. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God the Father is saying, if you practice pure religion, pure worship of who I am, it'll show up in your daily life by the way you care for others. And in that, he's calling you and I to care for orphans. When I was 15 and I became a Christian, there was really no man in my life. Strong, hardworking mother, but I had no idea what a man looked like. Became a Christian at a church camp, and I came back from camp. I told my mom, I want to go to that church. There's something there for me. And so she said, I'll visit with you. And she visited with me. And six months later, we were baptized together. But at my, my time at that church, something really, really profound happened. It was the first time in my life that a man took notice of me in an, in an appropriate way. Started first with the pastor, Matt Hudson. Saw this young teenage boy, fatherless, orphaned, and said, I want to spend time with him. I'll never forget being in his backyard, showing me how to flip burgers. I'll never forget being in his minivan on the way back from South Texas deer hunting, coming around the loop around Austin, and that's when he said to me, and this is a dad voice speaking to his son, Jason, have you ever thought about the ministry? The chairman of the deacons, Jay Flanagan, passed away this past Thanksgiving. 
He was another man. Him and his wife didn't have children. He saw an orphan. It was him who took me on my first canoe trip and camping trip and began to speak wisdom into my life. Now, none of these people replaced dad, but along the way, God's people stepped in and began to show me what a good father looks like so that I could begin to understand God as a good father. And so God wants to show up in your story through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. And so we go back to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Over six centuries before the baby is born in a manger in Bethlehem, God is saying this, the Messiah will come one day. And he will come as a, as a child, as an infant. He will come as a son. He will bear the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And he will open up a way for you to be in relationship with the everlasting Father. You will know the Father by first knowing the Son. I want to land here today and offer up some questions for reflection. These are meant to help you reflect on how God is speaking you, to you today. If, if you also want to take these home with you, feel free to take a picture as they come up on the screen. They're fantastic discussion questions for you and your friends, your family later. But the point is that we wouldn't just hear God's word and then walk away, but we would hear it and we would reflect upon it. We would let it sink in. And so here's some questions for you today. How does understanding Jesus as the everlasting Father change your perception of your relationship with God? For some of you, God is still a far-off deity. You don't even know what his face looks like. So hearing today that that far-off deity is also a God who draws near as an everlasting father. How does that change your perception? Here's the second one. Reflect on the concept of being called a child of God. How does this identity influence your daily life and decisions? Being a dad with two sons, the fact that I am their dad impacts the way they make decisions. Not always for the best. But as they make decisions in their everyday life, my two sons have my voice ringing in their head, for better or for worse, impacting the way they make decisions and live their life. So how does that work with God? How does that concept of being child, called a child of God, how does that identity influence your daily life and decisions? Here's the third question. What does the term forever father imply about God's presence and involvement in your life? I don't know. What's it look like to have a good dad? What's it look like to have a father who, who, who never leaves, who always shows up? How does that term forever father, what does that imply about his presence in your life every day? The fourth question is this. How does the truth that God is your forever father 
give you comfort and guidance during challenging times. You know, it's one of the first things that a child will learn about mom and dad is, is that they are the safe place. If I get scared, if I get hurt, if I fall down, if I'm upset, I'm sad, God hardwired it in the kiddo to go look for mom and dad. Is that spiritually hardwired in you when you face something hard, when you're scared, you're sad, you're hurt, you're angry? Is it hardwired in you to take that to your heavenly father during challenging times? And this last question, and this might be a good starting point if you're here today and and church is somewhat foreign to you. Does seeing God as a father make you want to run to God or away from God? Some of us need to start there. Does it, does it cause you to want to lean in? Or does it cause you to want to push away? And here's what I would say is this. Knowing the Father begins with knowing the Son. Jesus was not only born in a manger in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph, but he grew to be a man and to take on not just the weight of the world, but the sins of the world upon his shoulders and those those were my sins and your sins and he took those sins to the cross and then he took them to the grave and then he resurrected from the grave leaving them there that all who call upon his name shall be saved all who call upon his name shall be invited in and out of your salvation comes this beautiful adoption into a forever family as a child of God. So as I get ready to pray, I'm going to let you know um, our prayer partners will be at the front of the room like always on the sides. Uh, We'll be honored to talk with you more about becoming a Christian today, trusting in Jesus, starting a relationship with this forever father. Um, Our elders and our pastors Um, will be on hand as well in this room and out in the commons. If you see one of us wearing a lanyard, you've got questions or you need direction, come grab one of us. Um, Just honored that you were with us today. I want to pray over us now, and then our worship team will come back out. Let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, those words have weight this morning to truly sit and think about what it means that we get to call you dad. Father, thank you for giving us your word so that when we doubt, we can go to your word and it reminds us of your promise. Thank you for giving us your spirit to work in us, to nudge us towards you. Father, thank you for giving us a church home of a place where your people gather so we can see a a pale reflection of who you are. God, if there's anybody here today that does not know you as Father, my prayer is that you would first invite them into relationship with your Son. That today would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If there's anybody here who does not know you, Father, I pray you would do that miracle among us. Use this time now as you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name.